The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome. I'm so excited about that new opening. Uh, we're just super thrilled. That was done in conjunction with Spectrum from Laboratories. And at bottom, all the artists were individuals from Autism Spectrum. Can't be prouder of that. What you don't know, or maybe some of you re realize from when we were um, in COVID, is that for years, for over 10 years, when we had the other opener, which played for like 30 seconds, and had this very specific music. And uh, it's been my ritual that I boogie out to the to the song. And uh, I've only got eight seconds now to boogie out. And so I just almost got caught on camera being, you know, going like. <laughs> so anyway, so thrilled that you guys are here with us. We are live, Autism Live on the Autism Network. Right now, today is Monday. It is the 11th of October, 2021 checking in with all of you. How are you all doing? Want to let you know, because we, we are live right now, that you have the opportunity to reach out to us right now live and talk to me. Uh, you can do this in a lot of different ways. We're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitch. I mean, who knew? Uh, <laughs> on Twitter and a bunch of other places that Traven, the fabulous Traven, is starting to show you right now. So when you are live on those platforms that have a chat... Uh, you can write directly into their chat and it shows up here with any luck as long as those systems are working, right? Uh, and then we're able to interact, you and I and whatever experts we happen to have on, on the show are able to interact with you as well. So I look forward to hearing you. Sometimes, you know, you don't know what to say. Hi, I don't know how to pronounce people's names, but so uh, is it Tygist? Uh, is, am I even remotely close, Tygist? Uh, it's a beautiful name, no matter how you pronounce it. But um, I love to know where you guys are writing in from, because as I've said before on the show, I'm geographically challenged. So it's fun for me to hear where people are from. So uh, did I, I got it right? That is just crazy coincidental. Uh, so I'm thrilled that you are here with us right now. I do like to remind you guys uh, when we start the show, when we have time, that we have experts that come and are on the show and I always like to remind you that I am not an autism expert. I am someone who has been a parent of an individual on the autism spectrum for 16 years now. We're coming up on the, I think it's 15 years and, you know, 11 months. Uh, so we're coming up on me officially having been a parent of someone on the spectrum for 16 years. That's kind of crazy to me. Um, but... I hope I've learned a thing or two along the way, but the biggest thing that I've learned is that you're not alone and that sometimes you need to reach out to somebody to say, is this, this doesn't look like I thought it was going to look like, I'm not really sure what I'm looking at. Is this normal? Is this a thing? Is this just me? Am I on Mars by myself? So we love it when you guys write in. This entire show today is devoted towards you guys asking me whatever you want. Keeping in mind, not an autism expert, but somebody who's in your corner pulling for you and somebody who's been hosting shows about autism for more than a decade 
Um, and so I've gotten to interview a lot of experts. And I think one of the things that I'm relatively good at is going through my mental Rolodex and saying, okay, have you, have you tried this? Have you looked at this? Um, you know, somebody was on the show and talking about this, perhaps that's something you want to look at. So we're going to be doing a lot of that this morning. We really want to hear from you. That's the funnest part for me is when I get to interact with you guys live. A lot of times we don't get through everybody's questions. I'm hopeful today that you guys will write in questions and that we'll be able to um, answer as many of them as possible. Hey, Just Macy. So thrilled that you're here with us this morning. Write in if you have a question. Now, the other thing that we like to do, I, I like to remind all of you, our, we're, we're starting a new venture here that um, this is now Autism Live on the Autism Network. You'll notice that a lot of the things are the same and a lot of things are going to remain the same. Slowly over time, more start to change. And change is hard, so we're going slow. Um, but the mission remains the same. In fact, we've just doubled down on the mission. The mission is to provide information and inspiration to the autism community. And when I say autism community, of course, that starts with individuals who are on the autism spectrum. They are the beating heart. They are our why, right? The beating heart of our community. Um, and so they hold that centerpiece in our community. But we include in our desire to make progress with everyone who loves them because we feel that we are all on the same team we're not going to agree on anything really except that and everybody needs something different this is not a one-size-fits-all right so with love and respect we welcome you uh you know what i always say here that we we hold hands we get through this together and si se puede because it's the truth um okay uh, so I, I hope that you guys will participate in that with us. We also like to get to the jargon of the day, which I'm going to do in just a second, but people are writing questions. <laughs> Maybe we are going to do the jargon of the day. Let's do the jargon of the day quick. And then I am going to get to your questions. Uh, okay. So jargon of the day is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym, and we try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani, are those experts talking about? Why does this, why should we even bother? learning what these terms are because there's, I don't know about you, they make me tired, right? Uh, I, I wear glasses so that you can't see the bags under my eyes from the jargon. <laughs> so we've got a funny video that we're going to post later on this week about how I feel about jargon. Uh, we've been threatening to post it for a while, but we are perilously close to posting it. So uh, I, whenever I speak, I show it and people always ask that we put it on YouTube and we just we just haven't done that, but we are going to do that this week. So uh, in any case, I, I for many years, I hated the jargon. Anytime somebody, I'd be in a meeting and somebody would start using jargon and I would just shut down or I would try to shut them down and I would go, do I look like I have a PhD in psychology? No. So how about you talk to me? in real person terms, right? Then I realized over the years that I was just slowing the process up by doing that. And that if I was willing to learn these terms, just piecemeal, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time so that I didn't make myself overwhelmed, that I could be a better player at the table to help my child. And if the, if my mission, my child being obstinate about learning the jargon wasn't getting the job done. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we have that moment where we go, oh, I'm the person who's in the way here. Uh, you can't do everything overnight, but you can take jargon on a little bit at a time. So that's what we do here. We try to make it reinforcing for you. How do we do that? First, we give you the actual definition. Then I make fun of it. Then we move on to the working definition. And then I try to give you some context for it. So shall we take that on today? 
Uh, so today's jargon term for you is behavior momentum. Um, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know why. It's so funny how my brain translates these things. When the first time I heard somebody say behavior momentum, I think they said BM first. And so forever in my mind, I think of this as a bowel movement, <laughs> behavior momentum, bowel movement. It's not, it has nothing to do with the bowel movement, but that's, it's forever uh, cemented in my head that way. So let's wipe that clean um, <laughs> with some tissue and a bidet and let's move on to what our actual definition is. Let's see how badly they slaughtered this. Behavior momentum, a theory in quantitative Oh, for corn's sake, Ethel, <laughs> don't you just want to run screaming with your hair on fire already? A theory in quantitative analysis of behavior and is a behavioral metaphor based on physical momentum. What? It describes the general relation between resistance to change, persistence of behavior, and the rate of reinforcement obtained in a given situation. I know what behavior momentum is, and I can't even make heads or tails of that. The minute you say a theory in quantitative analysis of behavior, oh, it's all over for me. I can hear the toilet flushing in the background in my brain. What? I don't, I don't even know how any of this is useful to anybody. So let's, let's put that one in the circular file and let's move on to our working definition of behavior momentum. Everybody do the Ileana Van Zant thing where you put your hands on your head and say, save yourself, save yourself. We don't have to use that definition. Let's try this one out. Behavior momentum is starting with easy tasks that are doable and working up to harder tasks. Well, that's a way different definition, isn't it? So I think of this as walking somebody into the swimming pool instead of throwing them in the deep end. So when you are, let's say that you're trying to teach someone something and they're getting overwhelmed. They're starting to escalate. You can see that the tension is building and that we're now going to get met with resistance because on some level, they feel like they can't do it or they feel like it's not working, right? As a former teacher, I would see this all the time in the classroom. You'd start to teach something to somebody and they would hit a snag and it would all start to, you know, go, I, I don't know why I'm all about the toilet metaphors this morning, but it would all start to slide into the toilet. And if you don't catch it, you have somebody have a tantrum and then a meltdown, right? So behavior momentum says, let's not dink around with this. If we see that somebody is having a hard time with it, let's back that bus up. Let's back the bus up and let's ask them to, let's build their confidence. Let's ask them to do something that they already know how to do. And then let's reinforce them for having done that. We'll reward them for having done that. And then we'll ask them something else that they know how to do that's a little bit harder, but they still already know how to do it. It's something that they've already mastered. We'll reinforce them for that. And then we're gradually going to work up to doing a piece of the thing that we were asking them to do that they were starting to get that anxiety about. So you can do this with absolutely anything. So let's say the task is that you're teaching your child to brush their teeth and you're doing really effective chaining with it, which means that you're only having them do one part of the task. And maybe let's say you're at the part where they need to take the top off of the toothpaste. 
but that's a hard skill for this particular individual. And they start to do it, but it's hard. And they start to, mm, you know how our kids do their, mm, right? And they, we see that it's, it's coming and we can hear that in their breath that they're, you know, so we can, we can stop what we're doing right there. And we, you know, we can set the toothpaste tube aside and we say to the kiddo, Hey, uh, can you, and for instance, this is one of the things that they do that I always thought, what is, what on earth they would say, you know, so it's, it's, it's supposed to be a fun thing, not a punitive thing, but you know, maybe we go, Oh, give me the toothpaste. Right. So that's a compliant thing. We go, good job. Cause you gave me the toothpaste. And now, now we go, Hey, where's your nose? And, and the child is like, what you're interrupting their pattern for a moment, but you're asking them to do something that they already know how to do. You go, Where's your nose? Can you touch your nose? Oh, you touch your nose. Yay, touch your nose. You give them reinforcement for that and tickles, whatever, hair ruffles, whatever this particular kiddo responds to. You go, good job. You're so smart. And and then we go, hey, you know, can you point to your toothpaste? And they point to the toothpaste. Good job. Awesome, dude. Give me high five. You're doing so good. Okay, now should we practice twisting? And we come right back to the thing that's harder. What we did was we gave them a ramp up say, you know, showing them, see all the things you can do. It's not about what you can't do. You can do this. You can do that. And we reinforce it. So now when they do the thing, it's like, whoa, buddy, you did it. And that's all we got to do for that day. That's all we got to do for that moment. Um, but be I love behavior momentum because when any of us start to feel like we can't, we, it, it's like a machine and the machine gums up and we can get paralyzed. So this is true for our kiddos on the spectrum. This is true for us. This is, you know, when you are doing something, oh my gosh, over the weekend, I was working on stuff that was hard for me, <laughs> hard for me. And anytime I would feel myself about to be paralyzed, I did not have the option of being paralyzed. So back that bus up and I would say, what is there that I already know how to do that I can do? And I would do like three or four of those. And then I would come back to the one that was hard. And you know what? It's amazing how much easier it is. Amazing how much easier it is when you've built up some self-esteem. That's all of us. So behavior momentum, it's a kinder, gentler way to get somebody through a moment that's hard instead of just saying, you know, do it, you know, and forcing somebody to do something. I love behavior momentum. In fact, when I'm talking to... Uh, BCBAs, I always say to them, why aren't you using behavior momentum more with the parents? Because <laughs> like, there's stuff that they need for us to learn how to do with our kids and it's overwhelming. So I always say to the, B B uh, the BTs and the BCBAs, you use behavior momentum with the parents. We need it too. Okay. So this is, I, you know, love this jargon term. All right. Uh, but I don't understand the first one. <laughs> okay. So let's uh, move on to our question today because we've got questions coming in and I want to get to everybody. Good morning. Uh, our journey, Cameron's new life. Uh, okay. What is your favorite fall activity? What is the thing that you love to do in the fall? And I realize for some of you might be watching and you're just now going into the spring if you were in the lower hemisphere. But so you can change it to spring for yourselves. But what's your favorite fall activity? And one of the reasons why I ask this is that sometimes when we are dealing with other challenges, 
we feel like we aren't going to get to do the things that we used to do or the things that we hoped we would get to do. And, you know, I'm a big fan of something called editing, which means you don't have to do it all. But if we're going to edit, then it's really important to pick what's most important. So it, what is your favorite fall activity? And can we make sure that it happens? Uh, and it may be something that everybody else in the family doesn't love. And you might want to ask yourself, do I need to do this with my family? Or is this something I could go do with friends or something that I could do by myself? Right. Um, but I'd love to hear what your favorite fall activity is. Christina says going for a long drive to see all the beautiful leaves. That's my favorite. I love that too. We don't get as much leaf change here. Uh, and I'm originally from upstate New York, so I understand what it looks like when leaves um, but I love that too. I love, you know what I do because I've been so trained with ABA that when somebody's doing a good job to applaud and praise them, I am the lunatic that when we go someplace and see trees that applauds the trees and says, good job, you're doing such a good job and do that in public. And people think that I've lost all of my marbles. I'm okay with it. Um, there are worse things than telling trees, good, good job, right? Uh, like walking around and never telling anybody that they're doing a good job. I would much rather be excited about trees turning colors. Uh, I love that too. I used to love to go apple picking and um, that there is a place here about two and a half hours from Los Angeles that you can go apple picking. I'm, I'm trying to see if I can get that squeezed in. We always used to go peach picking too, because that was easier and closer. Um, and because of COVID, it's very hard. There aren't a lot of places that are open for that. So I'm having to go down my list and say, is, is this one doable? Maybe not. If not, what's the next thing down? Because you want to enjoy the season, right? Because uh, all too soon it will be winter and there's great things that happen in winter, but it's fall right now. So part of being present is we want to do the things that are of the season. So Christina, I hope you get to go for a nice long drive. Uh, okay, moving on. We always have a topic of the week and our topic this week goes perfectly with all the things that we're going to be talking about being good teachers. Because in our life, whether we have kiddos or not, uh, we are always being a teacher to someone and sometimes we don't realize it. Think about some of the big epiphanies that you have had in your life and what, who was the teacher and were they aware that they were teaching you something? I have had people teach me things in moments that they would be shocked that, and good things and bad things, by the way. Um, you know, it's easy to be taught things that are really bad habits but um, I've talked about this before on the show that a friend of mine, uh, I, was, I was a really good friend with two, with two people who were married and they divorced as happens, right? And I was determined that I was gonna stay really good friends with both of them and any future spouses. So now the guy remarried and I wanted to be, you know, part of his life and, and part of uh, that with his wife that was someone that I'd never met before. And she was a, this amazing woman who was one of my best teachers because I've told the story before about that she was pregnant and invited me over for dinner. They had a he they had their older son from his previous marriage, and they had a baby and they had a new baby on the way. And she invited me over to dinner. We had such a good time. She cooked this fabulous meal, and very pregnant. And then when the dinner was over, we were all thanking her for the dinner, and she said, um, "I'm so glad that you like dinner now. I'd like to ask all of you to do something." And we said, of course, because you made this beautiful dinner. And she said, I would like, um, Shannon, for you and our older son 
to entertain the baby and clean up the dishes. And, and I was like, of, of course, of course, I'd be happy to do that. And she said, turned and said to her husband, and I would like for you to draw me a bath. And I would like, while I'm in the bath, I would like for you to sit on the toilet uh, with the seat down, of course, um, and read me French poetry. And, and I thought, oh my gosh, you can't just ask people for what you want. Like, that's crazy. And it turned out it wasn't crazy at all that, that he, he was delighted. I was delighted. Their son was delighted and everybody was like, yeah, we can do that. And she was happy. And later when my, my, the male friend came out of the bathroom and I said, is that okay for you? Is that like, you know, all right for you that she asked you to do that? And he said, are you kidding me? It's so great to not have to guess. When somebody tells you what you want, what they want, and you give it to them and they're happy, he goes, why wouldn't I want to make her happy? He said, the thing is when I have to guess or when somebody tells me they want something and then I do it and they're not really happy with it, he said, that's hard. Giving somebody when they ask clearly for what it is, not hard at all. Ooh, big moment for me. And she didn't know she was teaching me in that moment. But I think it's important in life to walk our talk um, and, and do what we need to do all the time to be good teachers and most especially for our kiddos to model the behavior that we want them to see and learn from. And my friends, that means we have to do good self-care. Oh, did you feel that turn coming? <laughs> because you were with me, right? Um, but if we don't do good self-care, then what are we teaching our kiddos, right? And if we don't communicate, what are we teaching our kiddos? And if we aren't willing to do things that are hard for us, what are we teaching our kiddos? So we have to be good teachers. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. Um, so, uh, I, I hope that you, all of us will think today about what does it take for us to be good teachers? Cause that's what we're going to be talking about. Okay. I want to jump in now. Now is the time to ask me whatever you want. And I want to jump in to, um, some questions here. So good morning. Uh, it's me again. And I checked the meaning of echolalia and my son doesn't do that. He says, uh, he says that none understand and it's never off. When you ask him a question, he, um, he repeats back. So I just want to be clear um, that when there are different types of echolalia. So sometimes it's just pure repeating of like the, we, there's something we call movie talk, which is technically a form of echolalia, which is that they'll just repeat a phrase from a movie over and over and over again, or they'll, they'll pick different phrases from movies um, and, and, and say those instead of something that's appropriate to the conversation. Uh, although we're finding out more and more that they are cherry picking the phrase that would make the most sense to them in that conversation. I'll come to, back to that if that doesn't make sense, but there's other forms of echolalia too, which is I say to you, um, what do you want for breakfast? And then the kiddo says breakfast because that's the last word that they heard and they repeated it back. Now, I just want to say this about echolalia. Everybody gets tweaked out about echolalia and, and it's like, oh, it's this is weird. It's terrible. It's, it's not. It's not weird. It's not terrible. It's a, it's a stepping stone 
to language. All kids do echolalia at some point. It's just how long do they get stuck there? Because once they learn other easier forms of communication, they move out of echolalia. But if it becomes a habit, it becomes harder. So the longer they get stuck there, the harder it is to get them out of it. So um, I'm not, because you're saying he doesn't do echolalia, but then it, I feel like you're saying when you ask him a question, he repeats back, which would be echolalia. Um, what I understood you to be asking the other day, though, is that he was talking gibberish. Um, and that is also a thing um, that our kids will do. They will make up a language or they will just make sounds. And if you think about that, all of these things are attempts to communicate and they are attempts to communicate vocally. So we have to look at things in an entirely different way now. Um, instead of being in a place where, where we use, a lot of times people are very black and white with things. They go, is this good or is this bad? Well, we're going to say there's, there's no point labeling things at this point in the game, right? But we will say, is this of use to me? And when a child is attempting to communicate, it is very much of use to you. And when they're attempting to communicate vocally, it is very much of use to you. What we do with it, though, is really going to help us to define how much progress it helps us to get to. So, for instance, if someone is, if you are saying to someone, you know, what do you want for breakfast? And they're answering breakfast. What we want to do is prompt more language. So um, instead of saying, what do you want for breakfast, which is too open-ended for some of our kids. I was talking about this the other day that in order to, that's an interverbal. What do you want for breakfast? That's an advanced skill. That's like college level language, right? And, and we've got a kiddo who's got language of about an 18 month old, maybe. So we, we need to, you know, start with the prerequisites. So we want to give them a distinct choice and we want to prompt them and we want to prompt them with as many visuals as possible. So, you know, I encourage everybody to get, if you don't have an iPad, um, they have flashcards that have pictures of things, or you can take pictures of things on your camera and send them off to the 24 hour photo and get them back and write on them in Sharpie, you know, what they are. So you have a picture of an apple and you have a picture of toast, right? And, and so instead of saying, what do you want for breakfast, to which the kid responds breakfast, you would say, um, what do we want for breakfast? And before they can say breakfast, you say, do we want apple or do we want toast? And you hold up the picture and it's got the text, which is infinitely re you know, readable on it not in cursive. And, and you go, so you go, do you want apple or do you want toast? And if the child says breakfast, you can say, yes, it's for breakfast, but do you want apple or toast? And if they're really struggling with it, then, you know, you can do a physical prompt too, and you can take their hand and say apple. Um, and, and then, you, you know, wherever point they are, you can try to get them to say apple or ah, or just point to it or put their hand on it. And as soon as they do any of those things, even if you've helped them to do it with their hand, you go, good job, we're gonna have an apple. And you go and you get the apple and we, you know, we put the apple there. If you're, you got time on your hands, you could have the toast ready and the apple ready, but you might end up wasting some food if you do it that way. So I kind of like the pictures, right? So I think it's important. A lot of people will, will tell you to say no 
um, if people are doing echolalia. I think when you're building language and building communication, I don't say no to anything. I want to meet the kid where they are and shape it, shape it. Like, you know, when you're, when you're shaping clay, you don't, you don't go no and throw it away and start over. You just kind of shape it and mold it around and go, yeah, that's good, but let's have it go this way. Right. That's what we want to do with this language. So write into me, dark angel, and tell me if that makes sense. But but realize, and I was saying this the other day, that when my son would take his little, um, he had hero figures. Um, and, and, and he knew, because he had seen, and developmentally before he regressed into autism, he was speaking, he understood the concept of conversation. But he had lost the ability to access the language for it. But he understood that that's how people communicated. So he would sit there with the figures and he would go <laughs> as if they were talking to each other, but he had his mouth closed. There were no sounds. Right. And if I put a camera in his face, I've got camera um, footage of him on camera that he'll, he'll come up to the camera and he'll go. Not a word in there. Right. But lots of talking to the camera because he understood that people sit on a camera and, and talk to people. He understood that. So that's a good thing because I can use that and you can use that and experts can use that to shape and mold and become language. I think it's emotional and disconcerting because it wasn't where we thought the next stop on the train to language was, right? Um, you've gone to, to some other station that you've never seen before, but I've seen it before. And a lot of people here have seen it before. And, and I just want to say to you, we don't want to live at this station. Um, but it, it's a, it's a place along the way, as long as we keep taking action. So, you know, you want to be doing good quality ABA with your child. You want to make sure, I don't know what part of the world you're in, but if you're in the United States, you probably qualify for good quality ABA. Your school district probably will pay for good speech. Um, and those are good things that you should be leaning into. Uh, write me back and tell me where you are so that I know. Um, we have lots of comments. Okay. Yes, it makes sense. The problem is that he does it even uh, when you are trying to teach him something. Instead of focusing, he slips into that world. Yes. Well, I mean, that's what's comfortable for him right now. So it's like anything else. You're going to learn him a new skill and you're going to, uh, that wasn't very good. You're going uh, to teach him a new skill, but he's going to go back to whatever was comfortable. The key here is we're not going to reinforce that language. So don't give it attention. Don't reward it. Don't tell it no, because that's attention, right? So if your child says, you say to him, you know, what's for breakfast? And he says breakfast, we don't stop and have a whole big conversation about, now we talked about this and you don't say breakfast, you say apple or toast. You just move on to the next thing and you only reinforce the responses that are language. So if, if you say to him, what do you want for breakfast? And he says breakfast, we don't yet put the breakfast down. Every time we give our child something, we're going to try to get something back. 
it could be small. It could be that they, you know, their eyes meet yours for a millisecond, right? It could be that they point to a card, but we're building this idea of exchange. I ask you something and you tell me in some way. So, you know, and this is a really common concept that people do trying to get language out of all kids, right? What do they say to them? Use your words, use your words, right? So I do have to be clear and stop for a second in saying we don't ever starve a child. We don't ever deprive them of food for, you know, more than a millisecond. Um, but we do try to get something out of them. Let's go back to the, the topic uh, the, or the jargon today, behavior momentum. If you are stuck in a moment and you're saying to your child, pick one, you know, do you know, do you want toast or do you want apple? And you're trying to hand over hand and, you know, you just take their hand and you touch it. You go, yay, apple. Now you give them the apple, right? They may not want the apple. They may have wanted the toast and they fling the apple. You don't react. You don't react at all. Um, you know, it, what, what you do is you wait for a second and say, do you, you know, do you want apple or do you want toast? And if they don't pick you prompt again, and you keep doing the apple until they pick the toast. And then if they pick the toast, you give them the toast, right? Um, they will start to learn this is transactional and I want to find the way to get what I want. Right. Um, so, all right, let me go back. He can tell me all the flashcards I show him though. That's, a, th that's great then. That's wonderful. So now you build on that. So when, um, when you say to him, um, okay, uh, what do you want for breakfast? Do you want apple or do you want toast? And he says, apple, you go great. And you give him apple. Now, the next time you get him to say, uh, want apple. Um, and then you get him to say, I want apple. And eventually when, when that's all in place, then when, cause probably what's happening is you say to him, what do you want for breakfast? And he says, breakfast. And it takes a second for you to say, which do you want? So he fit in breakfast in there. Eventually, when he is fully able to say, I want apple, what you do is um, you would go back and say, um, uh, what do you want for breakfast? And immediately, like Dr. Grampiche talked about this um, the other day, taking your finger and just going like this to stop the compulsion to say breakfast. So you go, mm, and point to the apple and then you take your finger away. It's just for a second. You just stop that impulse and then, and you, you mouth the words to him. I want apple. And we teach him that he can say breakfast in his head, but not vocally to get it. It'll come, but I wouldn't worry about the breakfast, the repeating as much as getting him to say the thing that gets to the reinforcer. A lot of times that's all that a kiddo needs. So just, you know, use the flashcards to get him to say what he wants um, and eventually you can move the flashcard further and further away, right? Um, and, and have it disappear completely. Um, but don't be afraid to be stuck at that place on the train for quite a while. Because once he understands, oh, when I say this, I get this, it's going to take him a little while to get it. But once he gets it, ooh, then you're in, you're in a good, good place then. All right. Uh, I want to see what everybody else is writing here. Oh, you guys are writing a lot. Uh, but I hope that helps you, Dark Angel. Um, Just May Sue says, I have a question and need your advice. Yes, I'm hoping you wrote that in. I'm going to get to that in the scroll here. Um, and Dark Angel, don't feel sorry about asking. This That helps everybody. Okay. Um, here we go. Sorry, I'm scrolling through. Uh 
and I said hi to Christina. Uh, here we are. Johanny uh, says, good morning. So happy to be able to see you live in your new format. We're so happy to be here too. And Dark Angel did say he does uh, those made up language when he's alone or pretending to play. It's re I think it's a really great sign because it says that he remembers that that is the, the way we communicate. So don't be stressed by that, but don't rest on your laurels, build that language. Johanny says, oh, how I remember that time. I would pray about trying to move forward from that. And my little guy has uh, so much to request for breakfast now, LOL, right? It's so funny because I can remember that too. I remember the time period where I was like, is my child ever going to be able to say to me, mom, can you pick up some more apples at the grocery store? To me, that was some village very far away that I was never sure that we would get to. That simple of a phrase that other people would be like, you know, why, why is that so exciting to you? But for him to come up to me and be like, mom, can you pick up some apples when you go to grocery? The normalcy of that, of all, and I, and I would think about all the skills it was going to take for him to be able to get that. That is so my Tuesday. That is my every waking hour. Now, now, like he, he'll, you know, text me and say something or he'll come down and he'll go, mom, you know what you haven't gotten in a while? Are, is this in season now? The conversation, the, and, and you guys, I did not know if we would ever be there. Um, but I had to buy into the experts tell me if we're going to get there, there's a very distinct way that we go about it. And we have to do it for this many hours a week. And we have to be willing to be frustrated sometimes, but we don't give up. So, you know, 40 hours a week minimum. Uh, and really it's every waking hour. Uh, okay, you're in Canada uh, waiting for speech assessment on Wednesday. Great. Well, that's wonderful. And I hope that you will get some speech, but I'm going to tell you, don't just rely on speech. Good quality ABA is what has been found to be effective in getting to that language. It's hard in Canada because it's there and it's funded, but here's the rub. They'll give it to you for two years um, but before your child is five, but the waiting list is two years and you can't get on the waiting list until your child gets a diagnosis, which they can't get till they're three. I don't know how you overcome that, but I know that people have, I don't know. I would, I would start reaching out to um, local support groups in Canada and saying, how did you get ABA started? How do I get on that? Which place do I have to go to get on the list to be the person that gets this? And fight, 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 fight. Um, be nice, but fight, 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 fight. Uh, Ty just says, my son watching TV a lot. Um, special, is that okay? He learned a lot. He started... Uh, max sentence, but it, uh, is that okay? Watching TV a lot, you know, I mean, I think there's different schools of thought about this. Um, I, I think it depends on what he's watching on the TV. Uh, there, especially in COVID, there were so many resources that we gave people and said, you know, your kids are going to be on screen time. We don't really have another choice here, but if, make it quality time. So that we're not watching things. I'll give you an example. Um, my 
like TV to begin with. And um, he didn't like anything that was animated. He only liked real people. But then we found a cartoon that he liked and we were using that as a reinforcer for potty time when he was on the toilet. And that he, we had a little, one of those portable DVD players and it had a um, cartoon thing on it and it was Tom and Jerry. And, and I was like, well, at least he likes it, right? Tom and Jerry, not a good example. Um, it's, it, you know, because it's really um, mean. And we quickly were like, this is, this is not good um, for his little brain. This is not the equation that we want him to learn. So we switched it up and went on to other things. And fortunately, he started liking and watching Disney videos and uh, cartoons of that nature. Um, but now the, the stuff that they have that is educational, um, if he wants screen time, make it educational. Um, YouTube has so many things available to you for your kiddos to watch that are educational. Um, Gosh, I wish I, because I, I, I had a list of things um, that um, there's the, the one that's something noodle. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is it go noodle or something noodle? Uh, so fun. There's musical videos and they, they can play games and there's le learning resources. Absolutely. I also love Khan Academy um, and it's all videos for your kids to watch, but they're learning everything from history of art through how to code. And you can put what grade level your child is and you can take the class with them. But I would, I would make sure that it's good stuff. Uh, you know what they say, garbage in, garbage out. So if, if he's liking screen time, make it something that's really, really, really educational and fun. Um, Okay. And then I would also be concerned about now they're saying that they should get glasses that are that, that block the blue, or you might see that your kiddo is going to have trouble sleeping at night. Uh, so be concerned about that. Uh, okay. Uh, Forest Seasons Homestead says my six-year-old grandson was tested at school in Arizona last year. They put autism on the report, but he still is not in special ed and he has been having meltdowns in class, outbursts and hitting kids. Okay. Well, I'm going to guess, and it's never good to guess, right? Um, but that part of what happened is because we were in the throes of COVID last year and that sometimes schools um, try to get away with things. Now we not everybody, right? Um, but there was difficulty with diagnosing last year because there was difficulty being in person. And there are some rules that are saying diagnoses not in person is not going to count. Everything's trying to be figured out. I don't know. But what I would do is I would immediately write to them and say, we would like to call an emergency IEP. And uh, this child has, at the very least, been identified under child find. That means that the school has identified that he is a student who is likely on the autism spectrum and will need some additional supports. He is entitled to an IEP, an Individualized Education Plan. And part of that education, uh, individualized education plan is going to be a behavior intervention plan. So it's an IEP and a BIP. The IEP is the legal document 
that says, here is how we are going to make sure that it's fair for him and that he gets the same educational opportunities as the other kids, but it's fair. Isn't that a great thing? And that is all, that's a federal law, uh, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, IDEA, um, is what governs that. So we wanna make sure that this kiddo, he doesn't necessarily have to go to special ed. Um, you know, special ed is a, is a mindset, not a place, right? Um, they have special education classrooms, which maybe, you know, he'll go to, but maybe not. Many of our kids don't need to go to a special education classroom. Sometimes they need additional supports in the classroom, like an aid or other things, um, you know, preferential seating, all of that would be listed in that legal document, the IEP. But when, if he's starting to have tantrums and meltdowns, then we want to make sure that there's a behavioral intervention plan. And when they get the BIP, the behavior intervention plan, which makes sure that somebody who is, I see you're saying cussing, throwing things, and they call dad to leave work several times a month to take him home. His dad could lose job if they keep having to take him home. Uh, who do we write to to help with what he needs? So here's what I would encourage you to do. I don't know... I don't know if Tolner Law Offices still has a representative in Arizona, but let's let's guess that they do. So I would encourage you to go to Tolner Law Offices and Traven, if there's any way to put that um, email address up. Bonnie Yates uh, works out of that. There it is, Special Education Council. If you find that this place cannot help you, then I would go to copaa.org um, and see if you can find an advocate there. Um, but I would at least try to consult with somebody at Tolner Law Offices first, um, because there's a bunch of things that are happening. The school is not handling the situation correctly, because if somebody throws a tantrum and you send them home, where's more fun, school or home? <laughs> They're going to throw another tantrum because they want to go home. And if I want to be with dad, and the only way I can be with dad, because dad has to go to work, the only way I can be with dad is I throw a tantrum, and then everybody stops everything, and dad gets to come pick me up, and I get to go home and have lunch with dad, guess what I'm going to do again, right? It only makes sense. So schools are upside down cattywampus sometimes. Um, so we have to stop making throwing the tantrum a reward, basically. Um, and we need to put a behavior intervention plan in that actually works. So um, we got to have the emergency IEP meeting, but if you can get somebody legally to just walk you through some of the parts of this, this would be really helpful. Um, dad also needs to have a conversation with his work. He, he, he needs to be saying to them, I'm, I'm having to go because my son has autism and this is a medically necessary emergency. Uh, they can't fire him because of that. They can fire him for everything else under the sun, but they can't fire him because of that. Um, but he needs to have a conversation and be documenting it in an email to you saying, mom, I'm so stressed out about this situation with school and my work and da, 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 da. Um, so that if they do fire him, he's got a leg to stand on. But this is so fixable. This is so fixable. That little guy needs help and support. He needs for school to be really reinforcing. He needs to be getting rewards for staying in school and not tantruming, not being given a reward to go home when he does tantrum. And if you, if there's no avoiding that, if he does come home, it needs to not be a party. 
Um, so if dad has been picking him up and taking him to McDonald's and getting a McDonald's toy, we don't do that. We, you know, whatever the blandest thing is, we're still going to feed him, but it's not going to be his favorite meal. There won't be any TV when you come home. We set big boundaries that, that home during school hours is not fun. There's nothing fun about being home during school hours. Now, what's fun for some kids is not fun for other kids. Like being quiet might be fun for him. Uh, that doesn't mean that we turn on loud music to torture him, but we just don't want, we don't want it to be that he's getting a reward for coming home. I think I beat that horse to death. Does that help? Um, I so love it when grandparents write in. Uh, Anna says, uh, I've been doing that. Stop, pause, moment to help with echolalia. I love that. Uh, Dar says, my four-year-old son is having delayed echolalia. My therapist says not to stop him talking. Some special educators tell to tell him to be quiet. Can you suggest what to do? Yeah, I think we, we covered that a little bit. I don't, you know, until we have other forms of communication, I'm not about saying don't do that when it's, when it is communication. Let's focus more on getting them to be able to say the full sentence of what they'd like to say before we really try to tell them, Hey, don't say that. Right. Uh, let, you know, let's put, let's build a new city before we tear down the old one. Um, that is the way that he's communicating right now is with the echolalia. Let's replace it. Let's get him to be saying something else and just ignore the echolalia. Just move on past it for now, um, but get him to, to be able to say. Uh, my grandson listens to videos in Spanish and Chinese. He has immediate echolalia. How can you determine a good ABA program? So I love it when kids listen to other languages and pick them up. This is a good thing. Uh, and it shows how smart they are. Uh, what? How do I determine a good ABA program? We have an article about this coming out very soon. So there's a couple of different things that I look at for in a good ABA program. Is it individually specific or is it some cookie cutter that they, you know, they're going to do the same thing for every kiddo? Because it can't be. It can't be. ABA is, I always think of it as this amazing toolbox. It's got paintbrushes in it and it's got, you know, all kinds of different tools in it. Imagine the most amazing toolkit, right? Well, but each tool does something different. And, and so you got to have a technician who knows how to use the tools in individual ways. We could give Van Gogh a set of paintbrushes, right? And then we could give Rembrandt a set of paintbrushes and we could say to him, paint that guy and it's going to look entirely different because we have two artists, right? So ABA is a set of tools. It should never look exactly the same. Now, having said that, if you've got two three-year-olds, it's very possible that they are, are both going to need some, some of the same lessons, right? But the older a child gets, the more specific it is to the child. You know, we, we know that all three-year-olds need to learn their colors, for instance. Um, but if you're, if you're a six-year-old, you may not need to learn your colors. You may already know your colors. But another six-year-old may be completely oblivious to the color gray. And we only have to teach the, uh, the color gray. Whereas another six-year-old may not know any of their colors. Do you see what I mean? It becomes very, very, very specific. So it's got to be child-specific. The other thing that I tell parents, there's this crazy thing called generalization. And generalization is when I'm teaching you to do something with the idea in my head that I'm not ever going to be able to teach you all the examples of red. 
you know, there's light red, there's dark red, cranberry red. I'm never going to be able to teach you all the shades of red, right? I don't even want to try to attempt to do that. But if I start teaching you red without the concept in my head that eventually you need to understand that there are shades of red, I'm not doing a good job. Um, and the example that I always give is toilet training. If when people toilet train and think of only teaching them how to use the toilet at home, often what we have are kids that go away on vacation and can't have a bowel movement for the whole vacation because they can only do that in the toilet at home. So generalization is when you can take the skill and you can use it in many different circumstances and apply it in different ways. And the only way we truly get to generalization is if we plan for it from the very first moment that we teach a lesson. So if we say we're going to teach Johnny how to poop in the potty, one of the very first things we have to do before we even begin to teach is say, what is our plan for generalization? Our plan for generalization is once you know, he poops in the, in the downstairs toilet, then we are going to immediately switch and have him poop in the upstairs toilet. And then we're going to have him poop at the local target. And we're going to have him poop at grandma's house and then Aunt Betsy's house. Right? And that is our plan for generalization. So that is a hallmark of good ABA. It plans for generalization from the first moment. So what I tell parents to do is that when you're meeting with an ABA provider, you say to them, so what kinds of lessons would you have for our child? And they'll start to list off a bunch of things and you let them list off a couple of things and they get to one and you go, oh, that's interesting. I'd love for you to teach them how to do that. What would be your plan for generalization for that? And then you pause and you listen and you watch because if they start, oh, uh, the, 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 the plan for generalization for the, um, uh, you know, John, did you have the plan for, no, that's not a good ABA. <laughs> that's when you go, okay, thank you. We'll get back to you. Um, but if you say to someone who is doing good ABA and they start talking to you about, oh, and we're going to teach him um, you know, his colors and you say, oh, that's great. And, and what will be the plan for generalization for that? If they go, well, one of the things that we'll do is this. And another thing that we'll do is this, and we'll ask you to help with this, then you're probably in the right place. Um, I always like to ask, um, you know, what, where they are too in the verbal operants that, you know, a lot of people just teach labeling, and don't get to interverbals. And so I want to know that they get to interverbals. <clears throat> but I think the biggest thing that I'm always looking for is, first of all, are they going to give you some training as a parent? Are they going to teach you what they know? Because that's going to make the program better. Um, but I also want to know that the, the biggest thing I, that I see with the difference between good ABA and schlocky, not good ABA is that the child is never wrong. In good ABA, it is never the child's fault and the child is never wrong. The child will engage in challenging behavior because they don't have the means of communication, which now becomes something more to teach. So it's never that the child is wrong or bad. There is behavior that is challenging and we have ways of overcoming that. That's what good ABA says. The child is not learning something at the speed that we want them to learn. It is not the child's fault. We say there's something about the way we're teaching it that is not working with this individual child. Let's try something different. Child is never wrong.
don't we love that? Um, so those are good hallmarks of good ABA. I get excited about it because it's such good stuff. Uh, okay. Um, and they are in school full time uh, with masks not required. Oh, that, that, that stresses me out. Can I just say is, I mean, honestly, I can't wait till our kids can be back at school and not wear masks because I don't think any of us think that wearing masks is, is, you know, like, woohoo, that's going to help with education. No. Uh, but I worry about the kids getting sick. I really do. Uh, all right. I see that Traven has shared a video. I'm not sure what about, but thank you for doing that. Uh, Ty, just, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, and they said, thank you. We're going to take the suggestions back to dad. Oh, and they said, exactly. We feel that he's getting rewarded by being sent home. Yeah, it only follows. It just, oh, it just makes me absolutely nuts. Um, okay. I love this grandparent. Okay. See and do kids as my kiddo, 10 years old is semi-verbal. He can label and express himself in three to four word sentences. That's amazing. However, fully functional communication is hard. Could an AAC device help him without decreasing his verbal language? Yeah. I mean, I think it gets dicey at 10, right? Um, because um, and I would lean into the experts that you have, but I would be asking them some hard questions. Um, and, and here's what we know about being able to fully communicate. At, at age 10, if you can't fully communicate, you are going to throw a tantrum. It, it, it shouldn't be a maybe, it should be an absolute, right? I, I love and hate to tell the story of when it was our 10th anniversary we went to Las Vegas with our son, <laughs> took him on our anniversary trip, and we uh, bought tickets to see Mystere, uh in Las Vegas, and we were so excited. And um, we, they said, come early because there's a pre-show before Mystere. So we were like, oh, so excited. It was so hot. We couldn't wait to be in the air-conditioned theater. So we go in and there's a magician who comes out and is doing all this interactive, very funny stuff with the audience. There weren't a whole lot of people there. And we were sitting a little bit higher up, but we were overlooking, um, there was an older couple that was there with a girl in a wheelchair who was non-vocal. And the magician came out and started to perform and the girl uh, started making noises. And, and of course it drew everybody's focus a little bit to look over at her and I could feel the parents dying inside because you're in this big theater and now everybody's looking at you. So they tried to quiet her and calm her, but she wasn't having any of it because she was trying to convey something to them. And so she got louder because she had something that she wanted and the parents were now panicked and trying to shush her. And the more they shushed her, the more upset she got. And then she clocked her mom. Oh, and it was just devastating for everyone. And you could feel her embarrassment and the mom sort of packing things up and, you know, now we're going to take her. Now, as soon as they start backing up the wheelchair, the girl's happy, 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 happy. And they, they leave. And I was so shook by it. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, what a hard, hard, hard situation. Um, and I, I was, you know, upset. And I said to my husband, I'm, I'm going to go to the restroom. I, I, I need a minute. 
And uh, so magician is still performing, right? And I go to the restroom and who's in the restroom? The mom and the daughter. And it became clear that what the daughter had been asking for was to go to the restroom. But when she made the little bit of noise that she made, mom didn't know that that's what it was because how could she, right? Um, and and the, the sad part is that they paid a lot of money for those tickets and they did not go back into the theater. And, and everything was lost and the mom got hit and I'm sure she, a little part of her wanted to die. Um, all because this young woman in the wheelchair didn't have a way to say, I need to go to the bathroom and I need to go now. Now for just a minute, we all need to stop and think what that would be like for us. I, I only have the smallest of an idea that I, uh, I used to be a performer and I, uh, and I was doing summer theater and I got vocal nodes and I had to perform every night, but I was losing my vo voice. And it, there was a chance that I was going to lose my voice permanently. Can you imagine? How would I exist? So, you know, they wanted me to stop performing. And I said, I can't do that. I'm under contract. I got to finish out the summer. So the deal was that during every waking moment that I was not on stage, I could not speak. And uh, this is before iPads. And I had a, a little notepad that, that hung around my neck and a you know, and a pencil that I would write notes to people. I didn't think I was going to make it. It was like a month. And I thought, this is the seventh ring of hell. This is so hard um, when you want something to, and the nuances of what you want that it's just, it's so hard, you guys. So I, I would say to you, and, I, and I've talked to so many people, I don't know if my Kipple is watching, but my Kipple changed my mind about everything because he's a young man who had to wait to get his assistive technology. And he says to me all the time, he says, Shannon, you got to tell these people um, that it's horrible to be without it. And that it's, that it's to the point of being cruel um, not to put assistive technology so that we can be full, fully functional. Now the studies seem to show that if you give somebody assistive technology and they have that you're more likely to get to vocal speech if you give them assistive technology. So, but I think the rub here is you got to have the right people using it. I don't think it'll become a crutch for him where he prefers to talk on his iPad or whatever device you end up using. I think that's what you're afraid of. I don't think that that would happen because it takes so much energy to even with an iPad to be able to say, look, this is what I want and to communicate. I, I think, um, I think it's much better to give them that, but I don't think anybody ever would say, okay, I like it so much. I'm going to stop speaking. I don't, I don't think it'll decrease his language. If you see that it looks like it is, then, then I, what I would do is just up rewards for when he vocally says anything and give him the sun, the moon and the stars for every time he uses the vocal communication, but certainly get, I think, give him the right to be able to fully communicate with the, the AAC device. Oh my gosh, Traven, we're like way over time. Lael says, uh, I was wondering why some children suffering from autism are afraid of faces in films, cartoon, and real life. You know, we did a whole um, show a while back about how visually uh, facial features are different for some individuals who are on the autism spectrum. Some see it as a swirl that they don't they're not seeing what you and i see you and i see this sort of grid 
um, that, you know, that's, that's an up and down and the eyes are in the middle and the nose and the mouth are lined up. Some kids don't see it that way. They just don't. Um, you know, we, we used to look at Picasso paintings and go, oh, that's just so fascinating that Picasso sees one eyeball here and one eye, eyeball up. That's not really how he's seeing it. And I think we're all starting to realize that might really have been how Picasso saw faces. Um, because we have adults on the spectrum who are able to draw how they see a face. There's a name for it. Um, it's the same. There, there are kids who have, um, uh, there's a form of dyslexia that um, where the letters jump around. Well, it's the same thing with faces. So um, that can be very scary and disconcerting. Um, but we can help them to, to desensitize to it. Um, wonderful. Thank you to see and do spot on tantrums do happen. I think it's communication. Your advice is really helpful. You guys were out of time. Can I tell you that we're so excited that on tomorrow's show, we're having Lisa Ackerman from Taka. Taka is the autism community in action. We had had her on last month because their conference, their fall conference is starting this Friday. And it's the biggest conference that they've ever done. It's online. It's all virtual. Um, I am so excited. She's going to be talking with us about some of the big guests um, that they're having. It's really amazing what they have going on this weekend. So Lisa will be here. And if you have questions about things that are biomedical, you're not going to want to miss asking her. So uh, make sure that you're here tomorrow. I also want to tell you on Wednesday, we have Dr. Doreen Grampuche on Thursday. Oh my gosh. Kobe Bird is going to be here. He's one of the stars from the hit show Lock and Key. They're getting ready to drop season two. Kobe's one of our kids. He's 19 now, young actor on the spectrum. Such a beautiful young man. I count myself so lucky that we're friends with him. Um, and he's going to be here on Thursday. And then on Friday, we, we've got Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. And we're covering some research topics uh, as well as in the news on Friday. So uh, big week, but let me not forget to tell you that Temple Grandin is live with us a week from this Friday. I need questions from you for Temple Grandin. We're she's going to be live answering the questions, but I need the questions beforehand. That's how she likes to do it. So send them to us, autismlive at gmail, um, and get those off to us right now. I will also take, or you can send them to me, Shannon at autism-live.com. If you have a message for Temple, I will take a, a limited number of those as well. I love to share sometimes when you guys spread love on her. She enjoys that, but I can't do them all. So send them in early. All right. We're way out of time. I, it's such a privilege to be here with all of you. You're amazing, amazing individuals and you're doing a good job. Let's remember that. I will see you tomorrow. Until then, give your kid a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.